Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast. We're back for another week. There's been a lot of footy, a lot of great games, a lot of milestones achieved in this last weekend of footy. We cannot wait to talk all about it. Before we begin, though, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. So for today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, and Marnie Vinyl. No, Anna Harrington, who is off covering the Winter Paralympics in Beijing. So I guess I can kind of see how that would be a little bit cooler than talking footy with us. But it's all good. We cannot wait to talk about this round so much happened. I feel like I say that at the start of every episode, but really, truly, so much ha- so much happened. So let's have a look at the round's results. We started things off midweek. I think it was literally the day we last recorded. We had the Saints and the Giants taking on each other, and the Giants won it after the siren by two points. Adelaide beat Frio by nine. Geelong defeated Richmond by 23 in a big win. The D's beat North by 10 points. St Kilda didn't have to wait long for that win after the heartbreak and they beat the Suns by three points. Collingwood were big winners over the Dogs. And speaking of big winners, Brisbane absolutely smashed West Coast by 70 point, 74 points in a league highest score ever was absolutely redonkulous and obviously we ended the round with Carlton beating the Giants by 18 points so it was a big weekend it was Indigenous round as well we saw so many beautiful jumpers we saw so many fantastic welcome to countries I don't know about you I'm a big sook when they do the welcome to countries because I just think they're so beautiful they really just I, I love them. I wish we did them more often or at least before every game because I just think they're so, so perfect. But it was a big round. It was a great round. Who impressed you, Marnie, this round? I will just follow on about the Indigenous round and how important it is. I agree. Those welcome to countries are so beautiful and they're so significant and you can tell that there's so much meaning in them and that it is such a good acknowledgement and the whole round in general being such a good acknowledgement of the traditional owners of the land that the ground um, is is played on and, and for us to recognise the contribution of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the Australian football community and the significance that they bring to the game. And it's about that recognition, but it's also such a wonderful time for all of us to learn more about the history and the culture and the, the significance that they currently have and they will continue to have on the game and those all of their Guernseys sorry I'm just I'm, I keep saying Jersey so I'm really struggling <laughs> like it's Guernsey all of the Guernseys and they were all on display except Carlton who weren't allowed to wear them due to a, uh, a supposed clash with the Giants um, which was a bit disappointing and I can imagine to be particularly disappointing to the First Nations players that couldn't wear their Guernseys regardless each had this beautiful unique story behind them and it was really cool on social media hearing all of these stories behind the Guernseys and the artists behind them and there were so many boots um that the players had that were designed by all of these First Nations artists and everyone seemed so proud and so happy to celebrate and it was just really wonderful to watch and to and to learn more and there was also gifts exchanged um, Melbourne gave North a mangrook which I thought was in, 
particularly very, very cool and very um, beautiful. So that's the um, Indigenous uh, word for, for game ball, which our game is developed from Mangrook. So yeah, just just really wonderful. And, and I encourage people to continue that learning. I know me personally, I'm a, a white Australian, so there's a lot of learning that I have to do. Um, and it's a really good time to to learn more and also to understand where I can learn more and keep that ongoing um, past Indigenous round. In Indigenous round, there are a lot of, a lot of crucial and significant games. Uh, unfortunately, well, for some, the Suns and Western Bulldogs lost, which makes the run home to finals a little less exciting, but we'll talk about that later. But within those games, I do want to talk about in my Who Impressed uh, Collingwood. So Sabrina Frederick has had somewhat of a disappointing start, I would say, to the season. She's a very hyped up uh, player. She's just come across to Collingwood. But this round, she appeared to have so much more confidence about her, which was really cool to see. So she came back from health and safety protocols and then she played a game in the VFL and now she was back uh, in the AFLW side and she just outmatched her opponents in the air. She took some of those crucial marks that she just does so well and just makes it seem so easy and she booted two important goals and she just looked so stoked and it was so awesome to see her have that confidence. But in this game, it was really Jamie Lambert who stole the show. So unfortunately, Britt Benici went down with an ACL, which is a... I saw the ages headline was AC Hell, and I thought that was quite clever and also quite accurate because it has been an absolute hellish season when it comes to ACLs. Uh, to see another one was really heartbreaking. It was it was really devastating. Um, I was there at the game and to watch it live, it's just... It was... Yeah, it's not... It's, it's horrible. Um but without Jay, without Britt um, and also without Brie Davey, who went down in round one with an ACL, Jamie Lambert really just like filled that hole that could have been really dire, I think, for Collingwood. But she really stepped up. She's 29. She tallied three goals, 22 disposals, 13 kicks, nine hit outs, five marks and seven tackles. So any of those stats on their own is quite impressive. To do all of them in one game is incredibly so. Her pressure and her intensity She's just going to be so critical for the Pies as they come into the finals. Uh, and Eliza James got the rising star nom. So just a lot to celebrate for Collingwood. And they're looking somewhat secure. But they're still in a vulnerable-ish position, but they're looking secure for finals. So if they can keep that momentum going, that's going to be really exciting to watch. Well, I talked a bit there. Very impressed you, Marissa. No, it's good because I agreed with everything you said about Indigenous Round, and I'm really glad you mentioned Sabrina Frederick because God, she was good. And Collingwood as a whole just looked good. They looked so much the best we've seen them all season, frankly. And it was just really, really important for their season that they got that win, that they played the way they did, that Sabrina was able to, I think, play the role and play the game we all hoped, expected she would. Um, there was a couple of stats I saw was her first goals of the season, which I think tells you just how bad of a season she had been having in the yeah. lead up. And then it was also the first time since the first time she had kicked multiple goals since 2018. So something was right, something clicked, and boy, did the pies benefit from it. As you mentioned, I'm going to do who didn't impress me. It was once again the anterior cruciate ligaments of both Britt Benici and Rewatt from the Saints. 
they're the ninth and tenth players in season to do their ACLs, and it's just heartbreaking every time we have to mention it. Every time we have to bring it up, and you're so right. Watching a being at the ground and knowing a player has done their knee, it's just awful. Because again, there's that that sense of knowing and dread and it's just the absolute worst. So we obviously wish both of them smooth and speedy recoveries. I just, every time I think about the fact we've done more ACLs than we've had actual rounds of footy, I my brain glitches and just fails to, to comprehend it. So thanks. I hate it a lot. What I did not hate though, Ashradel continues to just do fantastic things. She has now racked up the most disposals in a season with 229 and there's still games to go. So that number is only going to get bigger unless she's literally not on the ground because I can't see a way that other teams are going to stop her from getting her hands on the footy unless she's physically not on the field. But she was absolutely fantastic. Best and fairest? What do you reckon? I I think, you know, Bowers would have been in the conversation, but then obviously Mm. injury suspension has kind of fallen out of it. Um, Mm. I I would argue she is the favourite. I can't see how she's not the favourite. Is she your favourite? I think she is. Yeah. (laughs) And once again, thinking back to our preseason predictions where I predicted Brie Davey and just that. No. Predi- that prediction obviously did not last very long. So my my last minute move is to an Ashradell best and fairest. But there were a couple of other teams who were very impressive. Brisbane, obviously, as I mentioned, that highest ever AFLW score across the league, not just a club record. They were a class above um, the Eagles, just absolutely incredible. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, but Darcy Vessio becoming the first player to score 50 goals, incredible milestone, incredible player. It felt right that they were the the player to do it. It just feels, it's one of those things. It's like, yes, they should be the first player to to hit the 50, 50 goal milestone. Speaking of milestones, we will have a little chat coming up at the end of this podcast with a very special guest. So you'll have to wait around to find out who exactly that is, but we're very, very excited to welcome her to the pod. But let's continue to focus on round eight. Let's talk about the run home to finals really quickly. As you said, it had the potential to be very interesting and then the results from this weekend kind of dashed that. So quickly take us through how everyone's place, what the kind of vibe is for the teams heading into these last few rounds. Okay, so top six, the top five currently are looking secure. So they have locked in their final. So we've got Adelaide, Melbourne, Fremantle, Brisbane and North Melbourne. Within that, four of them are going to battle for that top two spot. Adelaide, which are looking pretty tasty for minor premiers. They're sitting at the top at the moment with a huge percentage and uh, they run home games. They've got Collingwood and then they've got St Kilda. So that's looking, that they're both uh, winnable games for them and they're winnable games to increase that percentage potentially. Um, but then rivaling them will be Melbourne. So Melbourne are sitting at 28 points equal with Adelaide, but they've got a bit of a lower percentage 
So their next games, they've got Fremantle, which is going to be a bit of a tough one, but also a very exciting one to watch. Uh, and then they have Carlson, which is a bit more of an easier win. You've got Fremantle um, and North, both are four points below. And so they will also be contesting for top two spots, but we'll need to fight a little bit harder. And then we've got in that sixth spot, we have Collingwood, who have, after beating Western Bulldogs, are looking a lot more secure, a lot more likely to make finals, but it is not guaranteed. So they are going to have to put in a really good two last rounds, and they're going to want to hope that the Western Bulldogs and Gold Coast Suns, who are on the cusp and snapping at their heels, don't have. Uh, well, they they need both those teams to not win both those those games um and it is extremely extremely unlikely but not mathematically impossible for Carlton and GWS to make the finals and to take that sixth spot but we're talking about they're going to have to beat their uh next two rounds by like mammoth margins plus hope that everyone else loses by mammoth margins and we're talking about like the kind of wins that Brizzy had over West Coast last week, which was 74 points. So um, maybe a little unlikely, but not impossible. So if Carlton beat Melbourne by, you know, 80 points, here we go. And I actually, I wrote about this for uh, ESPN. And I said, if either of those teams make it to finals, I'll shout the whole ESPN team of beer. So you can look forward to that, Marissa, if they do it. I would love a free beer. I love free <laughs> beer. <laughs> But no, you're you're so right. And I think it's been so good. You know, this round, obviously, we had, I would argue, a couple of finals teasers with, you know, the Melbourne North game and the Freo Adelaide game and then Melbourne Freo. Surely that's that's a very exciting clash. We will get Mm -hmm. to, obviously, the full upcoming round of games a little bit later in the pod. But there is a lot to look forward to heading into this final series. But also, oh, my God, we're almost at finals. Oh, two weeks away. When did that happen? Oh and then what are we going to do? Oh We're just going to have to meet every week to just chat about the men's footy. <laughs> Obviously, if you are interested in men's footy, you can listen <laughs> to the ESPN footy podcast. The boys will be back very, very soon with the men's season not too far away. But let's talk a little bit about the Saints' first win. So obviously, mm-hmm. important for the Saints, but there was a little bit of... Well, not a little bit of, it was a unfortunate, not very pleasant ending on social media after the game with Sarah Perkins issuing an apology because obviously she had the chance to get Gold Coast the win. She had two shots within the last two or three minutes of the game and very un-Sarah Perkins-like was unable to convert them. It happens. Ideally, you know, you want your goal kickers kicking goals, but sometimes it really do be like that. The response then on social media afterwards showed I would like, the best and the worst in people, unfortunately. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about the Saints win, but also what's happened afterwards with Sarah Perkins? Yeah, it's just that classic tale of footy, right, where you see absolute ecstasy side by side with devastation. Uh, and the the cameras I was watching on TV and the cameras you know just showed all of these Saints uh, players just in so much joy it was just radiating out of them um, and I'm not gonna lie I teared up a little bit because I'm a very sensitive person and I just loved watching these Saints it was just so happy you could just see how much it meant to them and to know that they're not going to be winless um, by the end of the season 
kudos to them. It was awesome. But then my heart broke and if I did a, just a bit of emotional whiplash because it panned to Sarah Perkins, who also had tears in her eyes, but for a very different reason. And it's really heartbreaking when that happens because you could see that the whole game was kind of resting on Perkinson's shoulders in that last, what, five minutes. She's the, They're a whole team. It's not Sarah Perkins that lost the game at like not at all yes she shanked it um and that was a bit uncharacteristic but it was uncharacteristic because of how many goals she's gotten over the season which should be absolutely celebrating she has nothing to apologize for and the fact that these players feel like they do have to apologize and what was really heartbreaking I thought was in her apology was she said um stick with us Suns fans like of course you were winless last season you're still in finals contention potentially that's huge there is so much to celebrate in that and Sarah Perkins has been a huge part of that to be honest I feel like the Suns have really lifted this season off the back of Sarah Perkins yes her goals but also her leadership her resilience the joy and the energy that she brings to the game there's so much to celebrate in that player and it really hurts me that she feels like she has to apologize going off her apology though there's a lot to unpack obviously talking about uh players bodies should never be done um where we talk about them in terms of matchups um i think that's valid don't know if there's anything else other reason that really we should really be talking about them but to talk about uh to see some of the comments that people were posting on her athleticism um it was vile and it's horrible and it has absolutely no place in our game. And luckily it was called out, yes, by Sarah Perkins, but after Sarah Perkins called it out, the whole community really rallied behind her, um, behind the Suns, behind all of the players who experienced this. And that was really beautiful to see. It was also really significant and good to see the AFL calling it out, not just the Suns club, but also um, the AFL accounts were saying there's no place for this um, and they won't tolerate it, which is really important. What wasn't great to see was most of the comments, well, not most, a fair chunk of comments were, oh, but it's all right to do it in the men's game. No, it's absolutely not all right to do it in the men's game. What are you talking about? Just because we're saying don't do this and we're using Sarah Perkins, what happened is, you know, the, the catalyst to be talking about this right now doesn't mean that we accept it in the men's games. Absolutely not. And the AFLW as a league is changing the culture of footy as a whole because they're pointing stuff like this out. So we're not going to see it as much in the men's league because of the work that is coming from the women's community and what the women are doing. So the whole game is getting better because of AFLW. We're not saying we're not saying you can't body shame a women's player, but you can a men's. We're saying you can't body shame any player. So the men's game and the men's players are benefiting from the work that the AFLW community are doing. And that is so frustrating when that's not understood and instead the women and the women's game are being taken down by the good work that they're trying to do that that's how I feel it's so frustrating and I think the worst thing is that you know that like Perco cops this all the time and it's like she shouldn't have to deal with this and Mm. the point about you know People think they're so smart when they're like, oh, but we're allowed to do that in the men's game. It's like, no, you're making yourself look like a fool by thinking that there's two different sets of rules. And if you do think there are two sets of different rules, 
that's a reflection of you, not of, you know, what's actually going on. But it's funny, there's been a lot of things recently where something bad has happened and then the overwhelming positive response afterwards, it just, it fills you with a bit of hope that maybe things aren't as bad as they seem. Obviously, ideal world, we don't have these these comments, these discussions because of something bad that has happened. But I think overall there's been a lot of positive reaction to this. There's been a lot of the community has really come together and I think that's something Mm. that the AFLW does just so well. I feel like similar situation Darcy and Tory Groves Little coming out, obviously there would have been people, I'm not even going to attempt to like sugarcoat what they would have been saying, but the overall response to those two players has been overwhelmingly positive. So I think it's just another reminder that the AFLW is inherently a socially good place and it is doing so much, not just on the field. It does so much for the game as a whole. And I think you summed it up absolutely perfectly there. I constantly am saying and tweeting that the AFLW community is the best community and I just feel constantly validated by that. (laughs) I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, But just quickly on the actual Saints win, God, they were relieved. They were so relieved. And I think it that relief really was... um, amplified by the fact that they it was a very similar last few minutes to the game against the Giants where they were up all of a sudden the most perfect passage of play for the Giants where it the ball just makes its way down the ground all of a sudden there's a free kick there's penalties there's all of this stuff Cat Smith has the ball and she's able to kick it and I think the weirdest thing was that first time a game has been won with a kick after the siren like that was a bamboozling stat but obviously the Saints in that moment must have just thought to themselves we're cursed like how is this how has this happened and then I can imagine they're up against the Suns they've played so well Tilly Lucas Rod again phenomenal Nick Zenos continues to be phenomenal wouldn't surprise me if those two maybe even like a joint club best and fairest because they've just been absolutely fantastic And then all of a sudden for, you know, the Suns to come back into it late, for Perkins to have those chances, I don't know if the voice was loud or little in their head, but surely there was a little part of those Saints players that was like, oh, God, oh, no, not again, (laughs) not again. But it worked out for them. And now I think it's a really good thing that we don't have any winless teams this season. I think that's a, a small fact, but an important fact that every team has tasted success this season. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think it's really good for the comp and the league in general to not have any uh, winless teams. So, oh, it's so hard when you want both teams to win. It's a really exciting, like, final five minutes, but it's tough (laughs) as a fan. It's very, very tough. Shall we move on to this week's Handy Point? Go ahead. What's our Handy Point? Our handy point this week, it's a story that's broken only within the last kind of day or so, Mm -hmm. but talk of Daisy Pierce's coaching prospects. I think to start this off, I don't think either of us can speak highly enough of Daisy Pierce as a footballer, as a person, as a pundit, just phenomenal human being. So good at what she does, whether that be on the field, off the field. 
just phenomenal, 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 phenomenal. Shouldn't have tried to mm-hmm. say that three times. That was difficult. Um, phenomenal. <laughs> but the story has emerged that she has been approached by lots of clubs mm-hmm. to enter the coaching ranks. We don't know where Daisy's future actually lies. She hasn't said anything about what her plans are beyond this season, but there's been talk of Essendon AFLW head coaching roles, Geelong men's assistant coaching roles. And I think that's the one that people have really fixated on because there is still very much a novelty with oh, a woman coaching <laughs> a man. Ooh, wow. Wow. Didn't know women could do that. But talk to us a little bit about, about this story and your, your thoughts and your feelings. As you said that, it reminded me a lot of, do you remember that? I can't remember who did it, but it was that poll or something that was a lot of, um, they asked a lot of men, do you think you could beat Serena Williams? And a lot of men were like, yes. And I feel like it's like, yeah, so many people genuinely, I'm saying people, but you know who I'm talking about, um, think that they could coach better than Daisy, um, which is not true, just for that on the record. I am not one of those people. This is a really exciting and interesting story that's come out. In the article, it said that uh, she was offered a senior, the senior coaching position at Essendon's AFLW, so she would be their first head coach. She turned that down. That broke my little Essendon heart. But also I don't think I could have actually handled the excitement if she accepted that. I I do think my body would have just combusted with excitement. I'm already going to cry watching these women run out if they were running out and just like watching coach, uh, watching Daisy coach them. I just couldn't handle that. I've already mentioned this, this week how sensitive I am. I wouldn't handle that, but I'm so excited to see Daisy in coaching roles. I do think that uh, going like my initial reaction was like, when it was that she'll be going to the men's, but I do think it's quite smart that um, she does enter, you know, the men's system and she gets that mentorship and she doesn't go straight to a head coaching role. I think she would smash it if she did, but I do think that that's a wise decision for her. And obviously one that she knows more than any of us about, she's not making these decisions. Um, you know, she's, she's one of the smartest footy brains. She knows what's good for her. She's going to make the decision that's good for her. I quite like Geelong. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be sad to see her. Um, coaching at Geelong and it does seem like that is the path that she could potentially take as an assistant coach there it will be cool to see her come back to the women's but time will tell um it does seem like she'll be continuing her commentating role as well which I think is so important so she's going to be the Friday night um expert comments which I'm so excited about um and she's gonna kill that and just watching her continue to make the game better for all of us because uh, we can all benefit from her amazing footy brain even if we're not one of the Geelong players, which sadly I am not. I did, you know, it, it was one of those moments as well where it's just like people saying that, you know, it, it wouldn't be wise to go straight from being a player straight into being a head coach when um, Del Santo went straight from no women's footy experience to being the head coach. There are th- there's just these things that constantly happen. You're like, well, <laughs> uh, but we are so stoked. I'm saying weeks. I'm just assuming you're very stoked to see Daisy in a coaching, a coaching role. Also, it made me incredibly sad because it obviously means that she won't be playing anymore. And I can't imagine watching the game without Daisy on the field. And that's obviously the way that 
um, leagues happen and teams progress and players progress. They don't play forever, but it's really heartbreaking um, when one of your favorite players and a player who's just been so integral to the game since since its beginning um, is not going to be with us anymore. How, how do you feel about it? I'm I'm naturally very pessimistic. So my brain trying to approach Daisy Pierce potential retirement rather than just being very, very sad about it, I'm trying to look at it as at least we got to watch her play because imagine we didn't get that opportunity because, that you know, it's there's a very real possibility or an alternate reality where we don't get to watch her play. So I'm trying to think of it from that perspective in terms of the retirement. In terms of the actual coaching I agree with you. I don't think there's any sort of uh, questions that she would be excellent. I I agree with you in the sense that if she was thrown into the head coach role, um, you know, I would prefer it if she worked her way up as you're kind of meant to do. But I have no doubt that she would kill it. And I think she just plays another important role in the men's game, seeing value in women in Mm -hmm. the more traditionally masculine kind of roles of your head coach, obviously of players. We've kind of busted that one wide open now. But in terms of getting women into coaching and coaching men, I think it's really important that she is not only in that conversation but being taken seriously in that conversation. It's not like, ha-ha, it'd be funny if she did that. Like, would she know what to do? There's actually genuine she would bring value to a men's team that she coached because she would be phenomenal. But and if you don't think that she would, just don't say it on Twitter. Just don't. If you're if you're about to, just don't. That's one to stay in the brain. But also, I'm like, <laughs> like I said, part of me is also like, let's not prematurely retire her. And I feel like yeah. obviously that her line is also, I just want to get through this season. I'd like to win a flag with the D's. Let's get through that for starters. But obviously we will be watching that one with a lot of interest. So we did tease it at the start of this podcast episode, but we have a very special guest joining us today. And we are so, so stoked that she has taken the time out to join us ahead of what will be her 50th game. She will be one of the first AFLW players to reach this milestone, which when you do all the maths and you figure it out, it's a bloody incredible milestone. It's such an incredible achievement. And considering everything else that she has already achieved in the game, it just makes it even more impressive. So we are absolutely delighted to welcome Ebony Marinoff, Adelaide Crows player, to the podcast. Pretend I'm doing a drum roll. Ebony, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Marnie, do you want to kick us off with a question? Sure. I kind of just want to ask, so how good are Adelaide this season? But I will ask an actual question, <laughs> which is, um, so obviously we're coming up to your 50th game, which is unbelievably exciting uh, and a huge milestone. Could you talk to us about the significance of reaching that milestone? So to, for question one, the crows rock. Um, yeah. And your answer to the like the milestone, I mean, obviously I've been playing since the inaugural season um, and I just, I'm just really proud to have, like, you know, I guess notched up 49 games and obviously, you know, this weekend's my 50th. Um, it's been a wild road in terms of, you know, coming into the system like straight out of school. I kind of feel 
really lucky that I, you know, did get drafted at like 17 and I've kind of, I guess, rode the wave that some of the boys have had the opportunity to, you know, I guess, begin their AFL career at such a young age and just um, learn and grow, like, as a teenager, if that makes sense. So, obviously, yeah, I, I love playing footy and, I guess, to be able to have done it um, for six seasons and, yeah, uh, 50 games certainly come up fast. Um, but, yeah, just really proud and, um, yeah, just really lucky that I was a part of the inaugural season and have played every game since. Obviously, you're about to head into finals, but will you have a special celebration for this? Um, we, we, we will. Um, we are going to go to docks after the game, and that's probably more so um, to do with some team bonding. Um, we've been really, I guess, lucky over the past two years that COVID didn't impact South Australia too much. But the past six months, um, we've had... Yeah, quite harsh, um, I guess, restrictions. We actually still continue to wear masks inside um, and we have to wear masks inside at all times. So that means doing your gym sessions in masks. So um, we haven't had the opportunity, I guess, to get together because of all, like, rules and regulations around how many people can have at people's houses um, and, like, events like that. So um, probably not as big as what it would have been in, with my friends and family because I need to keep away from the public mm. as much as possible so I don't get COVID. Um, but we will have the opportunity post-game just to get together as a, as a group and, yeah, like you said, heading into finals. So it's just, yeah, important, regardless if that was my 50th game or not because um, we haven't really had the chance to do that um, with good old COVID still hanging around. I can imagine it'll be a really special night. That sounds awesome. I was like, COVID, she sounds like the absolute worst and you're talking to two <laughs> Melburnians, so we, we feel just how bad COVID has been. But I'm really interested in what you were talking about in the fact that, you know, when you were drafted, the career you've been able to have. I've been thinking about your career in terms of just timing and the fact that you were old enough to be drafted but young enough that, you know, you're still only 24, you're six seasons about to hit this huge milestone. How have you been thinking about your career in terms of just good timing, good luck, the fact that, you know, you've still got a, a lot of footy ahead of you and potentially a lot more milestones to kind of crack and break and history to make? Yeah, I mean, it's actually a really good question because I was actually really lucky that I'm born in no, like late November. So I don't know if you know how like state teams and things like that work, but you have to be like under the certain age by December the 30th, which obviously I always turn that year older at the end of November. So I actually stopped playing like state youth girls and whatnot in 2015 because I was like not eligible anymore. So I played women's footy all the way through 2016. So I was playing with women, um, you know, before I got drafted for the whole year. So I feel like that was like, I love playing state, but then I look like I'm quite good friends with like Lily Mithin and then there's like Catherine Smith and that. They still play junior footy, um, you know, and state country Vic and stuff in 2016. So it sucked when you were younger because you, you, you had, I guess you got gypped of a year by a month, but to be able to have played women's footy that 2016, I would not have been the player and like being able to have the impact that I did in the first inaugural year. So 
my my birthday actually yeah i think i was very lucky because when i came into aflw like i played in the mid but i had played against you know these big bodies these these women um you know for more than a year but my my draft year was literally just playing against women so that held me in really good stead and like i said i wouldn't have been the player that i was at you know the inaugural year and as well as playing with the boys so yeah very lucky um just as, has it all worked it's all worked out um left school continue to play like footy then i got picked in the um, melbourne expedition match in the handsome hardham cup um, before i was drafted so i just got exposed to all the right things heading into aflw really you said it's been it's worked out well for you it's been a little bit of an understatement that it's worked out well for you just to career highlights from your wikipedia page two-time women's afl premiership player the equal games record holder obviously soon to be you know, reaching that incredible milestone. Three-time All-Australian, club champion, rising star. It's it's just an incredible resume and it's all for the Crows. You grew up a Crow supporter. How much is it, how much does it mean to you to have done this for the Crows and with the Crows? Oh, like it's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I pinched myself when I was like picked up as their first pick. Um, obviously, I was able to go to Melbourne and I was there. Um, with the you know the top 10 of the the first pick and even like that I'll look back on and um, you know it's it's something very special and something like I you know I'm very humbled to have been that first selection but in terms of like what I've been able to do I guess I've just I'm happy that I've been able to contribute and I guess the Crows showed pretty big faith in me picking you know the youngest kind of player up in their first pick and um, not that that came with any pressure I I think that yeah, just being able to represent the footy club um, and the way we've been embraced by the footy club and and that's from, like, you know, the top down and, and all our, you know, admin staff, commercial staff, like media, like membership, like everyone has just embraced us um, from day one. So you really feel like you're a part of, um, yeah, a pretty good footy club and I'm lucky um, to be an Adelaide girl and, like you said, um, spent many of Saturday afternoons watching the Crows with my papa Jim um, at Amy Stadium. So, yeah, a, a lot of pride. I mean, we're, we're the pride of South Australia, but um, to be able to have, I guess, reach that achievement. Um, I mean, 50 games isn't that much. I know, what did um, Sean Berglund get? Over 400 or so. So I've got a little way to go to it. It's a real big milestone. Um, but I guess because I'm one of the first, like it's, it's, it's seen to be a pretty big milestone. And also because the seasons are shorter. So your 50 is really his 400, I think. <laughs> I think I think it's um, the club. I got a briefing at the start of the week and um, it's equivalent to 100 games um, in the men's, they tell me. I reckon it would be equivalent to about 120 games in the men's, but we'll rock the 100 um, as well as pretty lucky to again being a part of a successful team that we've, we've able to make finals and, and grand finals mm. so we've got a couple of jumps um, in terms of games played against other clubs who haven't. Well with that uh, is there a favourite game that you have in the history of those 50 games well 49 so far? Yeah again great question because I've, I've done a bit this week and I've been asked this obviously like the the premierships um you know, they're obvious, but one of my favourite, um, yeah, I, I always go back to, and it's round two in um, the inaugural season, 
Uh, we were playing Western Bulldogs at Wit Noble on a Friday night under lights. And it was our first away game. We played at home against Giants. And we're like, oh, this is cool. We're traveling for sport. And we're running late. We're built up on the West Gate in peak hour traffic trying to get over to Footscray. We were so late to the game. Um, everyone needed to go to the toilet. We're on a bus. <laughs> it was just like the worst like build up that you could imagine. And we just like embraced it and we just went out and we absolutely like smashed Western Bulldogs in the first year who were a part of the Handsome Haddam Cup with Melbourne. So like Melbourne, Western Bulldogs were going to be flag favourites and like we've knocked them off in round two. And I knew from that moment post-game that our group was going to go on to special things and, and we did and we won the flag. But yeah, I know it's, six years ago now but that game always um stays with me no I love that so much that origins and those roots of those first games I love that that's awesome poor Western Bulldogs (laughs) I know (laughs) I think it's so funny that it's the the little things the really weird Mm. like remembering that you you all had to go for a wee that's funny to me that that's what sticks out in your mind yeah, and we, like, still laugh about it because we, it, it was just one of those moments that everyone knew what was going on. And then, like, when we got to the Oval, like, everyone was lining up for the toilet. Like, it was, but we needed to all go pee, but it was like, we actually start this game in 40 minutes. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's go. It's unbelievable. It's weird as well that, you know, six years ago, you've been a part of this competition literally from its birth. You've seen you know, all the ups and downs of it have tasted the ultimate success. I'm curious how you've seen the competition change as a whole and improve and what you've kind of noticed over these six years. Oh, it's just like, oh, it's, yeah, I, it's hard to describe because we've been at the forefront of the the growth. Um, but like every year, like it is continuing to rise. I mean, the, the game just speeds up and, and hopefully we speed up too because we've got another preseason behind us. But it just gets faster and faster. And I think like when you're playing and you're, you're doing, I guess, match review or you're, you're scouting a team that you're playing, like people, I mean, not people, like the teams are actually starting to play like a significant structure. Um, and I think in the first couple of years, if you look back, like there wasn't much of that because you were just trying to teach the girls, um, you know, the basics and just get repetitions into them. But now it's it's not just that. It's like, how are we going to beat this team? Like what structure, structures are we going to implement and, and things like that? And obviously, like you see that in the men's. Um, and for us, I guess, girls to be able to, I guess, learn and grow their game under like fantastic coaches who continually to get better as well with all the I guess pathways that they have now as well as the, the girls um it's just grown it's grown so much in such a short space of time um and we haven't even we haven't mentioned like the superstars that have been playing the game you know I look at Georgia Jean she's one of the most skillful players in the comp and you know she's been lucky enough to play footy all the way through um and there's just girls like that that just come in and they've, they've never stopped playing footy. And we, it, keep, it keeps us on our toes. I mean, I've, I've played footy, you know, my whole career, but I, I didn't probably really have that pathway when I was 13, 14. And these girls have been in the pathway um, with really good coaches, um, you know, since they, they turned teenagers. So the skill level, again, um, every year continues, continues to rise. 
Yeah, I think there's an interesting mix at the moment between some of the more experienced players, but then the young ones coming through and they, the skills are potentially matching up just because of those, the pathways um, that have kind of bolstered the younger ones. But is there anyone at the Adelaide Crows that is particularly exciting you at the moment? Oh, a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, it's been like, I mean, you say it every year when, you, when you're playing with them, but I reckon this is the most well-rounded, grounded team that I've been a part of, um, which, you know, I, we've, we've had some great teams, so it, it's a bit cool. But, I mean, you see Brookie Tonin um, come into our team a couple of weeks ago against Giants, and she's one of those girls who have, like, really come through the pathway. Oh, like, seriously, if I, I couldn't name not anyone of, of our draftees, um, you know, we've got Chelsea Bedell, who's just absolutely shined down back. And we've obviously got Angela Foley out all season with the ACL. And there was a spot up for grabs. So, fun work so hard and, and own that has been, like, amazing to watch. And so proud of her. And then you've got Hannah Manya, T. Charlton, Madison Newman, who have come, come in leaps and bounds over the past two years. They've always had natural flair. But... It doesn't always get you get your games AFLW. You got to be fit and strong. So um, they're probably our youngsters. And then you know you've got Ashley Woodlands um, kicking bags goal week in week out. Got Eloise Jones starring on the wing. Um, you know those girls have been with us for a few years, really showing and showcasing the rest of the country what they can do. And I mean you know got Anne Hatchard, my, my little buddy, and and then Aaron Phillips. So all across the ground, I, I, I am just so proud of what everyone's been able to do um, in terms of just really getting us to where we are right now. I mean, we're eight games in and I reckon yeah, every single player has seriously contributed um, one way or another each game. Yeah, I feel like you could have just listed off all of the players then, which <laughs> would be deserving. I've probably yeah. some. I definitely have, but um, yeah. You yeah, missed yourself. Yeah. You should yeah. I'm really impressing myself. <laughs> I was going to say, you've listed, it's a phenomenal team. You guys are obviously doing well, playing phenomenal footy. I think it goes without saying a flag is obviously the, the end goal for this season. But I'm very curious. It's been a, a topic of conversation, particularly in regards to Aaron Phillips, about the inclusion of Port next season. So... How are you viewing that, not only in terms of your own career, but just for the Crows, for this group that you guys have got at the moment? How are you viewing their their inclusion for next season? I got asked this question yesterday and I was like, bring it on, let's go. Showdown at Adelaide Oval round one. Um, yeah. Like I've, I've watched the boys play, um, you know, in showdowns and they are seriously the best games. And I don't think you really realise what a showdown means um, to the, like, city of Adelaide and South Australia until you, you play in one or you're embedded in a club like we are at the, the Crows. Um, so oh, I'm super excited for that. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a moment in women's sport. Um, but in terms of them coming in, I, I think it's great. Like we need this game to grow and we need it to get to 18 teams fast because we want to be fully professional. And I don't think this league can get to fully professional without every team um, in the comp, every club in the comp having a team. So the quicker we get all these teams in, uh, I guess the better the standard gets, um, you know, with a couple of years 
um, with those new teams coming in and expansion being fully expanded. Um, I know some people like, you know, is it too fast? Should they be coming in? Um, potentially, but like I said, I don't think we're going to hit fully professional until that happens. So it's got to happen. Um, but no, like we're gonna we're gonna lose players. Players are gonna go everywhere. Um, they're gonna, you know, you'll have Victorian teams get South Australian girls like they continue um, to do year in year out. But I think it's just great for the game, and um, I'm probably a bit realistic with um, all that. That that's just how the game grows and how teams, I guess, poach players and, and give them opportunities that they may not have had. Well, as an Essendon supporter, I have to ask, is there any chance that you will come over to us? <laughs> I wouldn't have thought. Um, <laughs> oh, one of my favourite um, men's players left, though, Jake Kelly. Oh. Um, he was my little Pilates buddy, but he's a, he's a Bombers Bomber's boy now, so I'll be watching closely to see how he goes this year. Okay, I'm gonna just gonna be like Ebony Marinoff, number one Essendon fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we don't like comparing the men's and the women's, but my dad did point something out. He's a massive Crows fan. He did point something out uh, on the weekend game, and that is that the women seem to sing in tune and the men don't. And I was wondering about this, and I was like, it's probably because they've had more chance to sing it. Yeah, right. Okay. I've never picked that up. Um, I do love when I actually saw something that Western Bulldogs posted a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think it was Alice Edmonds. They, they won the game. It was actually against us. But she had no idea about the song. Um, <laughs> and like, oh, that would be my worst nightmare. But like you said, we've, um, we, we've sung our song a few times. So I would hope that all the girls know it. <laughs> yeah, awesome stuff. They're, they're a bit you guys are a bit familiar with the lyrics but I think we've kept you for long enough you've got things and stuff to do got to get ready for this game it's an incredible milestone congratulations we absolutely cannot wait to see you run out on the weekend and for so many more years to come that's I think the most exciting thing this is by no means the end of your career so thank you so much for jumping on we cannot thank you enough best of luck for the season and Honestly, cannot wait to watch you on the weekend. No, guys, thanks so much for having me. We can't thank Ebony enough for joining us and we cannot wait to watch her on the weekend when her crows take on the pies. Let's have a look at some of the other round nine fixtures. What a segue. We start the round with the Saints and the Cats. That's another interesting one considering recent results. The Giants will host the Tigers. Frio in Melbourne is going to be one tasty meatball. The Eagles will play host to the Dogs. Brisbane and North will do battle. That's another very interesting clash. As I said, the Crows will take on the Pies in Ebony Marinoff's 50th game. Should also mention she's not the only player to be reaching the 50-game milestone. So big shout-out to Emily Bates and Ali Anderson, who will be knocking up that milestone uh, for the Lions in that North game. And we end the round with Carlton taking on the Suns. So what is taking your fancy from those games, Marnie? All of them? No. Um, So even though that five of the top six have their places in finals secure, these games are still really important in terms of that ordering, which then determines uh, home advantages in the finals and prelim finals for like guaranteed for the top two. 
So Dockers Melbourne will be a really interesting one because if Melbourne win that, they're going to rival Adelaide for top spot. And if Dockers win that, they, they're in a good shot to rival Melbourne for a top two spot, which are both very important when it comes into that finals. Regardless of finals, put that aside, it's still a really, really interesting game. And it's going to be so exciting and so dominant. I think uh, last round we saw Fremantle, Adelaide, wasn't the highest scoring game because the quality was just so good and it was just going end to end the entire time. And that pressure and the turnovers and the tackling, it was incredible. And I think we could be in for a similar game with Melbourne Freo. Also, Adelaide Collingwood, I've got my eyes on. That'll be so exciting because Adelaide's battling for minor premiership and then Collingwood want to maintain their sixth spot in the finals. So this game is really important to both of them for different reasons. If Collingwood don't win this one, keep your eye on Bulldogs and Suns and how they go in there. So Bulldogs play Eagles. That's a winnable game, although it is over in Optus. And then Suns play Carlton at Icon, which is also a really interesting one. I think that's going to be quite competitive. As I mentioned earlier, mathematically, Carlton, it's not impossible that they are out of finals. Um, And so if they're going in with that mentality, it'll be a really interesting one, I think. What are you most looking forward to? I'm just, like, tickled by the fact that the fixture has seemingly offered up a finals preview completely Mm. this week. So the fact that we have Crows Pies, Lions North and Frio Ds, maybe those aren't the exact matchups, but they're all in the top six. They all could realistically be finals games. So I'm really interested to see how these teams go, how they match up against each other. I think you're so right in the fact that it will be pretty similar to the Frio Adelaide game in just that ferocious pressure, intensity, maybe not scores, but you definitely don't come away from that game thinking, well, that was, you know, a bit meh. You're going to come away from these games thinking, oh, yes, finals footy, I am ready. So I reckon it's those three clashes for me. And just the Saints-Cats for some reason, because I think Cats will be disappointed with their games on the weekend, and now maybe the Saints have a little bit of confidence. So it's two kind of teams coming from opposite ends of the spectrum, and I'm very interested to see how they meet in the middle. But we will watch with plenty of interest and then talk to you all about it next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We have to thank Ebony Marinoff once again for joining us, but we'll see you next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.